Well, good morning. I'm the other Dave Lewis on staff. When I met uh, David, he uh, said, I'm so glad you're here because uh, anytime I mess up, I'm just going to say it was the other David Lewis. So um, we're um, getting to know each other a little better. And uh, we're, uh, I've actually been on site for a couple of weeks now uh, and uh, been meeting with the staff and uh, met with the elders and uh, the boards uh, here uh, uh, a week ago. Um, met with the staff and, and I said, you know, um, you need to know something. You need to know that I'm, I'm not coming here with, with all the answers. Uh, I'm, I'm coming here to walk with you. We're going to figure this out together. Uh, I've, I've come to help us to be present to the presence that we were just singing about this morning as we determine what it is that God has in mind for Rexdale Alliance Church in, in moving forward and uh, advancing his kingdom in, in, in this area. Uh, connecting uh, Rexdale with the person and mission of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing in these uh, next uh, little while as we um, trust God to bring to us a pastor who will continue to uh, lead us forward. Sometimes people ask me, so, you know, what, I mean, what is your role kind of? And, and uh, as I was reflecting on this one time, I thought, you know, it's kind of like, uh, John the Baptist, you know, in, in preparing the way for, for Jesus and everything. And so I was uh, talking to somebody about that, and he said, uh, yeah, and you're probably going to lose your head in the process. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, I, I have said to uh, the staff in, in past experiences, I have been the one with the target on my back, and uh, that's okay as we kind of learn together what it is that, uh, that God has in mind for us. Um, when I was asked to speak this weekend and I saw the theme that you've been cover, uh, following the last uh, little while, Deeper in Jesus, uh, Further on Mission, um, I thought that perhaps today would be good to go deeper on, into the mission of, that Jesus has for the church. And so we're going to talk about imagining church today and uh, trust that uh, you will, uh, yeah, we'll all learn something as we uh, process uh, this topic together. Let's pray. So, Father, we've been in your presence, we've been worshiping you, we've been acknowledging the fact that you are here with us. Uh, it's a great, great, great promise that Jesus gave, that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, uh, you are there with us. And so we acknowledge that. We believe that you have something in mind for each of us who is here today. And so we pray that we will have open hearts and minds and ears to uh, listen and uh, respond to you as you prompt us by your Spirit who is our teacher, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on one occasion, I was hanging out at our uh, daughter and, and son-in-law's place when I, I picked up a copy of the Relevant, of Relevant magazine that he had lying on uh, their coffee table. The title of the cover story kind of jumped off the page at me. Why Moby Loves Jesus, But not the church. Now, Moby is an American DJ, songwriter, and musician that you may or may not have heard of. But I immediately thought to myself, wait a minute, how can that be? How is it possible to love Jesus and not love what he loved enough to die for? And so I began to search through the article, and in fairness to Moby, I think that the article was given a bad title, probably one that he didn't pick, because it wasn't so much the church that he was taking issue with, but what has been done to the church. But it got me thinking about church. There's a lot of mess 
that takes place in churches. It's been that way for a long time, I think. I recalled standing in the church at Marlborough Castle in Poland when we were there and seeing a fresco depicting the Teutonic Knights Christianizing the Prussians back in the 13th century. The painting showed a knight mounted on his horse, running his sword through a kneeling peasant. Seeing that picture made my blood run cold. I find that happens a lot with me when I think of the church. I become hot and passionate about the church and and feel compelled to defend it as I did that time when I read the title on that relevant magazine. But then I become cold and disillusioned by what often happens in churches. I found this Henry Nouwen quote to be instructive. When we have been wounded by the church, and I have, and perhaps many of you have as well, our temptation is to reject it. But when we reject the church, it becomes hard for us to keep in touch with the living Christ. When we say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, we end up losing not only the church, but Jesus too. I really think that Nowen has stated the issue well and given an appropriate caution to us on how we view the church and Jesus. And so as we journey together through this time of transition at Rexdale, I thought it would be good to take a fresh look at the possibilities that lie before us as a church. What would happen in our lives, in our relationships, in our community, if we took to imagining the church that Jesus has in mind? Well, to help us gain an image of what God intends the church to be, I would like to explore with you a statement made by the Apostle Paul and that he gave to the church in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 particularly. And then I would like to conclude my talk with you this morning by relating a personal instance that I had, a personal imagining of the church I received from God, I believe, during kind of a time of corporate worship, something like we've been experiencing here this morning. But let's look first at Paul's description. But before we do so, I need to give the background to the statements by the Apostle Paul that I want us to look at in particular. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul talks about a mystery. He says, this letter tells you a little bit about how God has shown me his mysterious ways. As you read the letter, you will also find out how well I really do understand the mystery about Christ. No one knew about this mystery until God's Spirit told it to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, the Greek word for mystery carries with it a slightly different meaning than the idea that likely comes to mind when you hear the word mystery. Chances are you think of books written by some uh, authors such as Dan Brown or David Badalti or uh, John Grisham or your mind goes to an episode of Murdoch Mysteries or NCIS on TV. Some strange occurrence that creates suspicion and suspense and leads to a whodunit type of pursuit. But mystery in a biblical setting carries with it a special revelation from God. It is totally beyond human discernment and requires divine intervention in order for the truth to be known. It is something so far beyond belief that only God can make it possible. So what is this mystery that Paul spoke about? Well, here it is. And the mystery is this. Because of Christ Jesus, the good news has given the Gentiles a share in the promises that God gave to the Jews. 
God has also let the Gentiles be part of the same body. And some of you are saying, well, what's so mysterious about that? Well, up until Christ came into the world, the Jewish nation pretty well had a corner on God. God revealed his plan and purposes for the cosmos solely through his chosen people. Paul contended that this was all a part of God's plan to eventually bless all of humanity. And so God had said to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, that all of the world will be blessed by his offspring. A prophetic reference to the birth of Jesus, who was born, of course, from Jewish lineage. Jewish tradition was steeped in the belief that God was their exclusive provider and no other people could have a relationship with the God of the universe like they did. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changed all of this. Now there was to be a new people of God, a people made up of all nations, tribes, and languages. No one would be excluded from the opportunity of knowing God in the fullness of His love. The mystery of which Paul spoke was that people from all nationalities and backgrounds and social and economic status and gender would join together in the praise and worship of God Almighty. All who believe on Jesus as God's provision to bring those who are far from Him into personal, intimate relationship with God can now belong to God's family. This new community of believers is called church. The mysterious nature of what God is up to can be identified as a divine outpouring of love, grace, and unity, and the establishing of a people who live out all of these values. So think of it. Where in our, what is happening in our world these days? Where on earth do people really live together in love and unity? In Syria? Afghanistan, the Middle East, in Europe, in Asia, in our country, in our province, in our city. The news media is constantly in our faces with stories of war, hatred, revenge, abuse, murder, and injustice. Where is the love? Where is the forgiveness? Where is the commitment to stand united against the moral perversion and ethical decay? God has a way of dressing this need in the world. It is his intention to bring about his message of hope for a desperate world through the church. And so Paul went on to write, God would use the church to show the powers and authorities in the spiritual world that he has many different kinds of wisdom. God did this according to his eternal plan, and he was able to do what he had planned because of all that Christ Jesus our Lord has done. The all-wise, all-knowing God has declared the church to be the seedbed of love, grace, unity, and acceptance. To bring about the prospects of peaceful coexistence between people of all walks of life and backgrounds. The church's very existence and intended purpose are to make known how great God's plan of salvation is, both to people on earth and powers in the spiritual world. This gives an unparalleled importance to the church and its God-given mission. There's a legend that's been around for many years. Maybe you've heard it before, but it kind of goes like this. It recounts the return of Jesus to heaven after his time on earth. Even there, he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. The angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, 
You must have suffered terribly for people down there. Well, I did, said Jesus. And continued Gabriel, do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh, no, Jesus replied, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done, he questioned, to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus answered, well, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell others about me. Those who are told will in turn tell others who will still tell others, and my story will be spread to the furthest corners of the earth. Ultimately, all of humankind will hear about my life and what I have done. I will build my church and nothing will stand in its way. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew well what poor stuff people were made of, and so he said, Yes, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if they lose heart and become disillusioned? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? What if the church becomes sidetracked from your intention and doesn't fulfill your purpose? Haven't you made any other plan? And Jesus answered, I have no other plan. I'm counting on them. And 21 centuries later, Jesus still has no other plan. He's counting on you and me to be the church that he has in mind. The Apostle Paul came to understand God's plan the hard way. Paul was deceived into thinking that he was doing God a great service by persecuting followers of Jesus until Jesus went to him, knocked him off his high horse, blinded him for a time, and corrected his thinking. After this, Paul loved the people he had previously hated. He began to take the message of forgiveness to Jew and non-Jew, to male and to female, to pagans and to religious fundamentalists. Once Paul switched positions, he came to understand the amazing plan of God to release people from hatred and strife and to join them together as one people, living out the transformational message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There can be no denying that the central role of the church in the world is to demonstrate the power and wisdom of God to bring peace, healing, and forgiveness to broken relationships. This is made possible because of the forgiving love of God established in the death and resurrection of Jesus. All who express faith in Jesus as the forgiver of their sin and the leader of their lives become united in this purpose. It is in the DNA of every believer through their new birth in Christ to show God's grace in how they relate to those around them. Otherwise, they are out of sync with who God made them to be. This means that if in the church family there are those that you avoid or criticize because they are different from you, you better get serious about correcting your thinking so that you can say you love them and know that you have gotten your soul right with Jesus. Forgiveness is the lifeline of the church of Jesus Christ. The difficulty lies in the fact that the church, as many of us know it, doesn't live up to its purpose. There are divisions and splits and hurts and intolerance and prejudice that seem to plague the church. Again, Henry Nouwen helps me with his writing. The challenge is to forgive the church. This challenge is especially great because the church seldom asks for forgiveness, at least not officially. 
But the church, as an often fallible human organization, needs our forgiveness. While the church, as the living Christ among us, continues to offer us forgiveness. Reality calls us to acknowledge the church as a community of struggling, imperfect people of whom we are all a part. But we also need to see the church as a community where we find reconciliation for our broken relationships and learn to open space for Jesus' presence in our lives and in the lives of the people we encounter all around us. And so we are to think about the church not just as a place to which we come, but as an expression of the power and wisdom of God's grace to a watching world. And in this way, we come to imagine the church that Jesus has in mind. Well, I'd like to wrap up my talk to you this morning by relating a personal experience I had with God during a time of corporate worship in a church gathering. Now, I'm not one to often have visions or extraordinary spiritual encounters, but this was so real that I took it to be a revelation to me of what God desires to do through the church. And so I'd like to share that with you this morning. What I saw were three images that God visually put before me. The first image that came to me was what I would describe as an unstoppable force of divinely generated power. Against this unleashed power, nothing was able to stand. But with this image came a quiet calm that God is in control that he is releasing his spirit to accomplish his purposes, and that he wants to do something pretty amazing through the church. God intends for the church to be an irrepressible movement. I immediately thought of this prediction by Jesus when he said, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And then other scripture references about the unstoppable advancement of the church came to mind. I'm going to list these and I'd like you, I'd like to join, I'd like to invite you rather to read these with me. So they'll just be up on the screen. Um, let's read them together beginning with Acts chapter 1. Join me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Next, every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. Forced to leave home base, the Christians all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. And then this declaration of Jesus, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The word uh, testimony carries with it the, the idea of, of story. The storyline is that God will not be stopped and history will not come to a close until God's story has been proclaimed to every tribe and nation. 
the church is God's storyteller. And so the church will continue to advance in this world until it accomplishes Jesus' intention for the whole world to hear the good news of the gospel. Linked to this image was the realization that the church cannot be a closed group or building-bound community. For the church to be a movement involves taking the mission of Jesus beyond the walls of our place of gathering. And so as the authors of the book, The New Parish, state, any new imagination for what it means to be the church that doesn't emphasize engaging the actual world we all live in is likely to become a fad that will eventually nurture cynicism and despair. It may feel like something is happening, but in reality you wind up having some exciting conversations that never end up serving the very people for whom the church exists. As the church becomes faithful present in the parish and becomes attuned to the wind of the Spirit, every dimension of life is going to be invited toward reconciliation and renewal. No matter what, the church is designed to advance in power and to prevail. This gives me hope as I wrestle with the whole idea of church. I may not always know how to go about doing church, but I have no doubt as to why. God has a lot on his mind, and he intends it to be told through the church. And so I imagine church where God unleashes his power in and through us unhindered. Well, the second image that came to me was a radiant beam of light shining out of a dark place and radiating into the heavens. And it made me think of this declaration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see, don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. On August 14, 2003, a massive power outage pulled the plug on millions of people in Canada and the United States. Some of you may remember that day. We were living in Poland at the time and were talking online with our son and his wife when the window on our computer screen that carried the image from his webcam suddenly went blank. A few minutes later, our son phoned us to say that the power had gone out. I happened to be watching CNN when he called and was able to tell him that he was not alone in his condition. Electrical service had gone down in a huge grid from New York City to Toronto and beyond, leaving 50 million people without power. It seemed so strange to be telling him what was happening to him in Toronto, all the way from Warsaw. But I watched the news coverage for much of the evening as more information became available on the extent and cause of the outage. The next morning, I turned on the TV to again learn what was happening. Images of a darkened New York City skyline were being shown. Then an aerial camera shot showed the Statue of Liberty. And I was amazed to see that the torch that the Lady of Liberty holds high was lighted. I assumed that an emergency generator had kicked in to provide the power to light the torch. In contrast to the darkness all around, the statue stood as a beacon of light in the night. 
I imagine church where a beacon of light shining the radiance of Jesus penetrates a dark and lonely human landscape. The church functions as light when we live open and authentic Christ-like lives before those with whom we connect on a daily basis. Show practical kindness to all people and especially those who are in need. Worship God with a spirit-led genuineness that invites the spiritually seeking among us into the awesome presence of God. Well, the third image that came to me was one that pictured the church as a healing community, a people who pray and minister to the sick. Here the image is that of being a place where wholeness is discovered where people who are broken and needy are confronted with the truth of God's declaration, I am the Lord that heals you. Todd Bolzinger in his book, Canoeing the Mountains, quotes Daryl Gruder as stating, missional churches are those that understand the church as fundamentally and comprehensively defined by its calling and sending. Its purpose to serve God's healing purposes for all the world as God's witnessing people too all of the world. The reality is, is that everyone is broken, damaged, cracked, and imperfect. It is the common thread of all humanity. The world treats such brokenness as terminal. Weakness and failure are viewed as signs of being a loser. God says, this is a universal human experience cutting across all ages, cultures, races, and social classes. It is my gift to show that when left to find your own way, you do not have the strength or the power to make it. Then I can be to you all that you need. When the church demonstrates vulnerability and doesn't hide its brokenness and allows God to bring healing and restoration, a powerful message is sent to skeptics and critics alike that the church has a prominent place in a dying culture. Urban McManus writes, when the church is a movement, it becomes a place of refuge for an unbelieving world. The church becomes the place where spiritual seekers finally find the God they were searching for. The church becomes the place where the lonely and outcast are finally embraced and loved in the community of Christ. I imagine church where labeling is dead and everyone is accepted and encouraged to become all that God intends them to be. So let me ask you, what images come to mind when you think of the church? Try for a moment to reflect on the beauty of Christ in the church. Imagine that I have confessed to you my disillusionment with the church because of something really dumb someone has said, and I tell you that I'm going to quit the church. What if instead of trying to make me feel better by telling me that you understand how I feel and wouldn't blame me if I left, you said you believed in God's power to transform me into a radical person who can forgive and live in the beauty of Christ's love with those who belong to the church's family? What if you prayed with me about this? What if later that day you had someone from the church say something really dumb to you and without thinking you forgave them and renewed your love for Christ and his church partly because of the transforming effect of our conversation about the beauty of the church as Christ's body. 
Think for a moment about what the church could be if you began to seriously imagine church as Jesus had in mind more deeply and gave yourself to live out his mission for the church more intently. As you think about that, consider these Bible statements about the church and the power of God at work. Thank God for the beauty of life in his kingdom and in his church and for the possibility of the transformation of your personality to reflect his power at work in you. Take this time imagining the kingdom of God in your life. Pray for it to happen. Listen as I read these statements based on scripture passages, but kind of tweaked a little bit. I, Christ, will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Then speaking of the church, the believers spent their time learning from the apostles and they were like family to each other. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They were liked by everyone and each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. We should be grateful that we were given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In this kingdom, we please God by worshiping him and by showing him great honor and respect. Several years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of making a trip to Israel. While we were in Jerusalem, I picked up a paper kippah, I think that's how you say it, and made my way to the only remaining wall of the Jewish temple, commonly referred to as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. It is common practice for visitors to the wall to write prayers or other statements on pieces of paper and push these into the crevices between the huge stones. As I stood at the sacred place in quiet worship, I began to imagine what it would be like when Jesus returned for his church. Rather than focusing on what had been, I found myself thinking about what could be and what is to come. The concluding words of the book of Revelation came to mind, and I I fumbled in my pockets for a piece of paper. Finding one, I scribbled on it the words, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Folded it and slipped it between a couple of stones in the wall. I left that place uplifted by the thought that someday, possibly right where I stood, Jesus would stand again and declare the church to have won. The gospel of the kingdom will have been preached in the whole world and the time to celebrate has come. What an amazing day that will be. So here's a question. How do you want Jesus to find us as a church? What do you imagine would bring words of commendation from him for Rexdale Alliance Church? If you were able to write a note and stick it on a wall somewhere, what would you say? Well, this morning, you are going to have that opportunity. Around the sanctuary, there are black bulletin boards. There are a couple over here, some over here, some at the back, some up in the the balcony. There's a supply of post-it notes at each of these pieces of of, uh, bulletin board. And so as I wrap up here this morning, I want to invite you to linger 
for a while after the sending benediction and go and grab a pen and find a post-it note and post your imagination on these blackboards of what you imagine church to be. You may want to write a statement. You may want to write a prayer, compose a poem or song or sketch a drawing. Be as creative as you want. But let's view this as an opportunity to spur one another on to holy imagining of what will bring glory to God in the church. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me in a moment. I'm going to have us read together a scriptural benediction, and then you're just going to go and uh, fill in the, the uh, post-it notes and post it, and then, and then just file out um, this statement will be our benediction and uh, then you are free to write on the post-it notes and then leave. Stand with me. Let's read this statement together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so, Father, as we spend some time now just reflecting on what it is that you want to create within our imaginations, help us to be alert to your prompting and to participate by sharing our imaginations. In the name of Jesus, amen. So make your way to the bulletin boards and let your imagination soar.